and welcome back to the podcast, to the solo podcast. AJ's back from Paris. I had a fantastic time. That actually answers one of the questions that I got from Kevin, who asked, how was Paris? And I think Amber also asked, how was Paris? So it was great. Uh, highly recommend it. It's a lovely city. If you've, uh, if you've got a, a girlfriend, definitely worth taking them there because it's very romantic. It's a nice sort of pretty city. Um, even if you haven't got a girlfriend and you're single, just go on, <laughs> go on your own. Uh, it's, it's lovely. So yeah, we had a fantastic time. It was very cold as it has been in the UK. So I'm sure you guys have been experiencing that too. But yeah, nevertheless, it was just nice to take time off the gas. Nice to sort of have my laptop away for like three, four days and just spend some really quality time with Danny. And even if it was just like, you know, some 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 of the days we, you know, we, we walked a little bit, sat in a coffee shop and, and just talked. And, you know, some of the things like that is just super simple, but extremely nice. And obviously to be in a different city whilst doing that is, is also good. Um, and I'm sure that she had a good birthday, which was the main, the main thing was spending time with her and making her birthday a good one. Anyway, so outside of that, my week has been pretty boring from a training and nutrition front. We can't really talk about much because I've been away. I've had eight days total off the gym over the past sort of you know twelve day period. I've had eight days off. Um, I had so we had the UK DFPA finals. I had Friday off that day. I had actually no, I didn't have Friday off. I had Saturday and Sunday, Monday and Tuesday off. I trained on Wednesday, which was pull, it was okay. I trained on Thursday, push, that was great. Uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, all off in Paris. Obviously on the Friday we were traveling down and it just didn't work out in terms of training. And on the way back, on the Tuesday, we trained at Graftism Gym in Watford, which I highly recommend actually, it was, an, it was a good gym. Unsure about the downstairs, the downstairs is a bit like a disco. Uh, the lights are a bit weird, but uh, the upstairs was great. It was fantastic. Good kit, nice gym, nice env nice environment, good people. Got to see Dan Park uh, whilst I was there, so that was cool um, and a good session. But yeah, nevertheless, back into sort of normal routine now, back into into work, which is obviously, well, me and Danny both love what we do, so it's it's, it's nice to come back to it. In fact, we were both sort of doing check-ins in the, in the airport and things like that, so it's nice to be back doing what we love getting back into consistency with training. I think Danny's deloading this week and I am back into usual training. So other than that, nutrition-wise, bringing calories back up, actually lost a little bit of scale weight in Paris, didn't eat quite enough crepes. So I'm around about 170, 171 at the moment and that's like, that's okay. My lowest in the, the mini cut was about 168 um, at the end of it. So I'm, I'm, I'm a small amount up from when I finished the mini cut and I finished that some quite some time ago. So it's time to certainly see the scale weight come up even more and obviously see that benefit cross, cross, cross transfer cross transfer into my lifts, which is the main goal. Anyway, so let's crack in to the questions and see how many I can get through today. We've got a really good response this week again. So got about sort of 15 or so questions to come to come and get through so I can see how many I can get in the books. So no more defeats fitness. You always ask questions, so thank you very much for them. Process of replying to clients via video, how do I do it? Very simple, I use a app or a program called Screencast-O-Matic. 
Uh, you can find this online. You can either download the uh, paid version, which I highly recommend, or use the free version. And you can basically just record your sc screen with the uh, client's documents in the background. And then obviously you can upload it as a private, unlisted YouTube video. You wanna put it as unlisted, not private. Private just doesn't work as well. And then you send the client the link once it's uploaded. So it does depend on your sort of your Wi-Fi and your speed. Um, obviously with my Wi-Fi situation, it's been a little bit shit recently, but it will improve and the, the upload time is usually fine. You send them across the link. Um, in terms of what the clients give to me, they fill out all their coaching documents and then they also record a video describing sort of how their week went, any sort of general feedback that they want to give me, any general discussion, and then I obviously give them their video feedback. I was talking to Steve Hall actually about this because I was just hearing about how other coach, coaches have a load of clients and more more clients than I have. And I'm actually pretty much full at the moment. My books are pretty much full, or at least I thought they were. And I was talking to Steve about it. I was saying like, you know, how long does it take you to do a check-in? Because I think I'm being efficient, like are other people being quicker than us or like have a more efficient way of doing it so they can handle more clients. And me and Steve both agreed that it takes about anywhere between 30 and 40 minutes to do one check-in. Um, we both have very similar client numbers. And we know that there's other coaches out there that have almost double, <laughs> serious, almost double what we have. And we just sort of sat there thinking like, how is that even possible? You know, how do these people sleep? Um, or do they do things a little bit differently? And obviously there's no hate against those coaches at all. It's just the fact that we were quite surprised in the sense that how can they potentially respond to more people than us when we're already pretty much at our peak capacity? So yeah, that's what I do. Anyway, to answer the question. Dale, dealing with hunger in the off season. Fortunately, you're gonna get to a point, like I'm sure, Dale, that when you're in your previous gaining phase, you hit a point at which hunger diminished. It will do, it just will do. But you're in a phase right now where you've been hypercaloric for so long, your hunger hormones are gonna be so suppressed, you're gonna be at a point where you can eat anything and everything. And trust me, I was there. I remember even like vividly like going to Prague with Jack. That was the first time that I really sort of ate out a lot more. Didn't really have any of my prep meals. And in America, when I was in Boston, New York, I was still very structured. I really didn't eat out which was a shame because I could have enjoyed myself a little bit more, but equally it wasn't a shame because I didn't come back 200 pounds, which could have probably happened if I'd gone hell for leather. So the thing is, when I went to Prague and started to introduce like more free meals and stuff, it, when I opened the gate, it was like almost a bit uncontrollable, but at the same time, I knew that I couldn't be stupid. Um, but so I, I compensate by doing a ton of steps in Prague when I went to Prague with Jack. But I, I you know, we'd sit there for, for like for a breakfast meal and like Jack would set order sensibly, like he'd order one dish and I'd sit there and order like two or three dishes and the, the, the waitress would look at me like, what the hell are you doing? Like that's where food focus is obviously, the comparison there, Jack was just starting a mini cut at that point. Uh, so food focus is very low appetite's quite low my appetite was sky high food focus very high and that's the difference it's a prime difference at a dinner table there you can see it so you will eventually get to the point where you food, your food focus is significantly less 
and you'll understand that you know that's fine you know you can you can eat and feel satiated but right now Dale I just give yourself enough calories to feel remotely satiated keep a lot of your initial prep food sources in do not change them for saurine or anything like that just keep a lot of them in and you know make sure that when you're when you're away when you're moving when you're going to hotels etc you prepare don't think just because you're in an off season now you can go to these hotels because i know you travel a lot with work you can go to these hotels and just sort of like do a free-for-all and like grab protein bars and grab this and grab that that's no hate on you having protein bars because i saw you have one last night on your story but Make sure you bring also all your vegetables that you would usually have, you know, fill up on salads and things like that. Don't expect to feel full of quick, convenient food options because you won't. Um, it will be a downward spiral. Okay, mate? Um, so, yeah, then Kevin asked about Paris. I've answered that. Kevin, had a good time. Thank you very much, matey. Sean Alvey, I'm new to the gym and struggle on what to do when I'm there. Any advice? That's just a massively open-ended question, Sean, my man. Um, if you're new to the gym, go and enjoy yourself, dude. Go and do what you enjoy in the gym and get a personal trainer that knows their shit to show you around and show you how to move, all right? So don't get a crappy personal trainer. There are loads of good ones out there that can show you how to move well. If you're located in Sheffield, Danny will do a few personal training sessions for you, teach you how to move. Um, and, but yeah, other than that, mate, like, yeah, just uh, just get yourself in the gym and get enjoying it and get moving properly. Start with the basics, the compound exercises, learn how to do them, move forward from there. Con Conan McLean struggles to get quad doms. I progressively overload in the gym, but play football three times per week. Is it possible my legs, and then the question ends. So I'm guessing, is it possible my legs are, I don't know, responsive to volume in a different way? Potentially, like, you know, you could be basically at a point where you're fatiguing your legs so much through the football that you're playing and the training that you're not really feeling DOMS anymore. So, so what I would suggest is actually looking at maybe doing less sessions in the gym for your quads and having one session a week that where you do really go after it and you do your majority of your quad volume, so maybe 10 sets for your quads in that one session and then you rest for the rest of the week so you don't train any more than once per week on your quads. Um, other than that, I think that you know maybe it's down to your execution. So if you're not getting DOMS, are you actually training your quads properly? Are you throwing around weights? And are you not getting full depth on a squat? Really assess your execution in the gym. Film some of your working sets and analyze as to whether you're actually performing things correctly. Okay, that's very important. Hey AJ, do you prefer conventional or sumo deadlifts from DH Fitness? I prefer conventional, but I have done a block of sumo. I did that after my prep. I like them a lot. Um, I think that they could be beneficial in terms of adductor growth and glute growth. I don't really need much more glutes. I do need some more glute, but I don't need a lot. Uh, but I do need more adductors, so I may actually run a block of conventional at some point. I would like to. But the thing is, I'm so attached to the conventional pull. I love pulling conventional that I really don't want to pull sumo. Um, but I might. I may well introduce sumos at some point because um, I, I think I can get pretty strong at them and maybe neurologically not fuck myself as much as I would with my conventionals. Because with the sumo being more glute ham dominant and a, a, a shorter range, we're taxing the upper back less. 
So I think for bodybuilding, actually, no, it's hard. I think for bodybuilding, maybe both have their benefits. But yeah, sumo, more adductor, more glute. Conventional, more range, more back, so more back engagement, and also more quad, more erectors, I think, and less glute, less ham, um, but yeah, still a decent amount of ham, but less glute and ham than you would on a sumo. All right, so that's my thoughts there. Um, overall, like conventional as well, just looks cooler. <laughs> um, Hamza, life of fitness. Um, I hope you had a good time in Paris. Uh, how important are, I'm, I'm imagining how important is time away from the gym is what you're asking. Uh, very important, like time off the gym, time away from work is extremely important. Um, if you don't do this, you will burn out at some point. Um, something will give, whether it's an injury, whether it's lack of motivation, just something will have to give. So that's what I would say is like, you know, appreciate the fact that something will give at some point if you do not give it the time that you need away from the gym. You know, the importance of time away from the gym is just as important as time in the gym. So yeah, take that, take that with high importance. Uh, Christian, I'm gonna answer your question now about carbohydrates. So Christian asked about whether it's in an off-season phase, do we have to prioritize the peri-workout window massively? So do we have to look at getting in all our carbohydrates pre, intra, and post, and then making other meals protein and fat-based or protein and veggie-based? Now, I don't think that we have to, from a pure nutrient timing perspective, we have to do the whole protein and veggies and then carbs around the workout. Because the issue is, especially with someone like you, Christian, who has to get up to a decent amount of caloric intake, decent amount of carbohydrates, you're going to fall accustomed to some level of digestion issues when you're trying to get 300 plus grams of carbs in a post-workout meal. It just gets a bit ridiculous. So I would say that to avoid digestive issues, we can start looking at complementing some of our meals away from the training window with carbohydrates. I'd make these um, lower GI carbs, so slower digesting carbs, and I would also pair them with some level of fat to slow the digestion. I would keep meals around the workout perimeter, low fat, apart from maybe pre-workout, pulling in a little bit of an additional fat in, um, but I'd keep them lower fat and make them a slightly higher in carbs. So for example, you know, you even said it yourself, making some meals like boluses of 80, like 50 to 80 grams of carbs throughout the day, making pre-workout a little bit higher, potentially up to 100, intra-workout again, anywhere between 25, 50 grams, and then looking at post-workout being maybe upwards of 150. I personally like no more than 150 post-workout. That's me though. Like other people can benefit from more, less, whatever. I've had some clients that can eat up to 200 grams Carbs post-workout feel fine. Um, I've had others that eat 100 and feel awful. So it's just about responding to how you feel. But I think in terms of performance, if you look at things from a pure performance perspective, getting in a good amount of carbohydrates before you train and scheduling these meals like nice and evenly out and getting in bonuses of carbohydrates, as long as you're not getting wacky blood glucose readings, which you shouldn't if your body composition is in a good place, as long as you're not getting crappy blood glucose readings or feeling rubbish, I see no issues with splitting your carbs nice and evenly across the day. 
no issues because at the end of the day what are we trying to achieve with a nutrient timing approach we're trying to achieve optimal blood glucose management and thus body composition management because blood glucose will influence body composition it just will do you know you have a high fasted blood glucose level you're not going to be depositing nutrients as effectively as we could be if blood glucose was in a good spot so i do think that if blood glucose is managed you feel good training performance is good you're not feeling groggy after eating a meal like personally in the off season i like to have meal one carbs meal two carbs intra workout post-workout carbs meal and then a meal after that post uh, secondary post-workout meal that's probably my last meal of the day um so i really only eat four or five times a day in my current setup um i am going to be on my member site logging my creating like an off-season log putting progress photos in there and putting my my day-to-day -day meal plans in there as well rest day and training day i'm just going to be creating that soon on the site so if you're interested in seeing sort of my setup that'll be on the site very soon mate and i know you're a member so you'll be able to check that out so yeah hope that makes sense christian hope that answers your question and any questions off the back of that mate obviously just dm me or ask again when I do another podcast. So Dylan's 95, for a natural getting as lean as possible, should you be flat every day as you're coming down? Good question. No, you shouldn't. Um, you will be flat at some point when you are digging away at fat loss. You're definitely gonna be experiencing some level of flatness across the physique. But if you're flat 24 seven, say goodbye to gym performance. A flat physique or extremely flat and rundown physique will not be a physique that performs. As we just talked about with intramuscular glycogen, you do need a certain degree of glycogen to perform. So if we're looking at if we're looking at the perspective of should we be flat all the time? Absolutely not. If anything, you want to strike a very good balance between remaining slightly full, remaining like holding a good full look, whilst also achieving the rate of fat loss that you need. The end of a prep, you're going to be digging for more fat loss. You're going to be flatter than you have been in the past. So to that degree, you've got to look at things from, right, okay, cool, I'm, fl I'm flat at this point, but I know why I'm flat, I'm digging away at fat loss, okay? I know that when I have a refeed or a high day or I work up my caloric intake, I'm going to regain fullness. If you're flat 24-7, if you're flat from the start, you're going to just burn out. Your performance is going to be shite, your ability to actually expend energy is going to be low, okay? Me and Danny were talking a lot about her prep, um, I won't name names, but she had a coach, for a period of time for in her, her prep last year, um, or this year, sorry, this year. And at some point during the prep, she knew things were going spiraling downwards in terms of your, her ability to expend was poor. She'd get to the gym and just be like so run down that she wouldn't be able to go in and do her cardio. She wouldn't be able to even expend through steps. She spent a lot of the day sleeping in between clients. Um, her, her entire energy was spent on clients and nothing else. Um, and that's where you know that an actual increase in intake would allow you to expend more energy. You know, if your intake's so low that you're flat, run down, and you're not able to expend, goodbye. Like, you won't have a deficit. You won't be able to create one. You've got to realize that if food intake is too low, it's just as bad as it being too high. So, yeah, hope that answers your question, dude. What is your bedtime oats recipe with weights? Oh, fuck me, man. Come on. Why do you need to know the weights of my fucking oatmeal? Right, okay, so my bedtime oat recipe with weights is um, the oats at the moment is 150 grams. That is raw weight. 
we do not cook the oats and then weigh them fucking after, which one of my clients asked the other day. It's like, no, no, we don't do that. Um, so 150 grams of oats, 30 grams of whey, which yields 25 grams of high biological, bi, <laughs> high bioavailable protein, highly bioavailable protein. And then we have usually 100 grams of banana and a 20 gram serving of a nut butter or a 20 gram serving of a dark chocolate. All right, so that's me. That's my pre-bed recipe. Okay, so I hope that pleases you. I've also put some cinnamon on it, some pink salt, um, but that's me, all right? So, but that's me, you know? I said it three times there. I might even say it a fourth, because that's me, not you, all right? So just because I eat that amount pre-bed doesn't mean you have to. Remember that. Nico George, now this question I'm unfortunately not going to be able to really answer in a podcast. The question is, how do I prepare for my first natural bodybuilding comp? Now, that is a ginormous question. How do I prepare for a contest? Um, you come to my next seminar and you'll find out. Um, because I will do another seminar, the front end of next year, I will release the dates very soon. I'm going to book it very soon and get places booked up. But yeah, I'm going to do another contest prep seminar in the new year. Um, at Ultimate Fitness, and we'll discuss everything you need to know in terms of getting ready for a natural bodybuilding comp. Everything from the off season into pre-contest, everything you'll you'll know everything. But to answer the question now, you need to know why you're doing it. That's the first thing you need to know. All right, why are you getting ready for a show? Why do you want to do this? Have a big enough why for your prep, and the rest will fall in place. Um, and the other tip that I can give you in terms of how is give yourself a ridiculous amount of time. You know, the more time, the better, usually with most people, to get ready for a show. Um, and the off-season is just the same as prep. You need to be just as consistent. All right, Nico? So, yeah, I'm not sure if you're uh, from the UK, but if you are, keep an eye out for my seminar dates coming out soon. Elia Olivia Barbon. I hope I pronounced that with an efficient accent. Best way to restart training after a long period off. I trained very good three plus years prior, blah, blah, to something. So if it's a long time, i.e. more than a month, um, you need to start slow, my man. You need to start slow and start ramping up after that, okay? So we'll start at very baseline volume. So we're maybe talking about six sets per body part per week. All right, so that's very, very low volume. And then we can work that up, obviously, closer to the threshold of maybe eight sets per body part, 10 sets per body part per week. Um, but I would really start very low. Start with the basic exercises that you've been doing before you had your time off and appreciate that strength levels are going to be drastically reduced in comparison to, to where you were at peak strength. Um, just slowly taper things up. Okay, so I hope that answers your question. But yeah, you have to really just take things slow when it comes to an approach after time off and just be careful not to get hurt. Lucy Cook, is there a difference between taking creatine in powder or capsule form? No, uh, not really. Uh, obviously, capsule is probably easier for some people to take. Um, uh, but yeah, there's no real difference. I, I, I believe there's no difference in absorb, absorption rates. I don't, I don't think there would be because it would just travel into the into the bloodstream the exact the exact same way as it would in the powder, I, I presume. But I don't know the confirmed answer on the absorption rates. There might be a slight difference, but nothing nothing worth worrying about. 
When gaining, do you weigh in every day? Um, if so, how much attention do you pay to uh, fluctuations? And do you track weekly averages or monthly averages, etc.? So that's from Whitmore, 1993. So I don't weigh in every single day, especially when I'm not consistent. So for example, if I'm up in Sheffield at Danny's, I won't weigh in. Um, her scale is very different to mine anyway in terms of the uh, the data that it gives. But I I weigh in pretty much every day if I'm at home. All right, and then I do pay attention to more so monthly averages than weekly because the weekly is always a little bit skewed, but I do pay a little bit of attention to it. So I I pay more attention to how I'm looking and feeling though. So if I'm looking decent and I'm feeling good and performance is going good, then there's no real need to change much. I just keep going. Um, obviously, the goal is to gain weight. So over a course of a month, if I haven't gained weight, something needs to change. It's pure and simple. Okay. Um, how much? How fat is too fat when bulking, i.e. body fat percentages? Now, body fat percentages is very difficult because to get an accurate measure of body fat, you really need to go underwater and get like an underwater reading. So it's hard to really determine the efficient range. But I would say anywhere between like 12 and 15% is probably where a male would be. And then anywhere sort of between 80 and 20% is where a female would be, sort of top upper ends. Um, but what I'd say sort of for males is like, you know, abdominal area is usually an area that you want to see abs. You want to see some lines or indents in abs. Now, people have different uh, degrees of ab development. So some people may see their abs like really clearly all the time and have no issues. Screw you because that's super cool and I don't have that. Um, but I know if I'm losing like my forearm vascularity, if I'm losing... You know, my top two abs, if, if my belt's fitting me, like if my belt doesn't fit me on the current setting, I know that my waist is getting pretty big um, to the point where I'm gaining just too much body fat and it's not efficient anymore. So, yeah, but I would say, you know, for a competitor, maybe looking at, you know, 25 to 30 pounds above their previous stage weight, it's probably a good range. Um, and for a female, maybe 15 to 20, hover within that range. Uh, a lot of females do not push up that much, though. Um, and they really shortchange themselves on that. I think the more that you develop as well, the leaner you can stay. So if you're like a professional, professional natural bodybuilder, you've built the most of your, majority of your tissue, you can probably stay 12 to 15 pounds above and have no real issues um, because you're not going to be needing these big push-ups that potentially younger athletes do. All right. Um, how accurate are body fat measurements from body analyzer scales? Poor absolute poor they they basically just they they make a very inaccurate guess um considering sort of what what they're actually measuring when you step on the scale so yeah uh nil nil accuracy is poor on them um so those questions for both from monir zagger i think <laughs> how on earth do i say some of these names i'm saying them with an accent because i think that's where they're from now, hopefully, none of those are taken with offence. Uh, Joe, so Joe asks, is it good? Is it a good idea to take taurine and creatine together in an off-season? Uh, I don't see any reason why not, because taurine has some data on it in terms of increasing nutrient uptake. Um, so no reason why not, uh, Joe. You could, you could take them both together and have no real issues. Um, but... Do, do I think that it's essential? Absolutely not. Like you don't need to take both together in an off season to benefit from, from creatine. All right, so that's that. Ed 
what type of periodization do you prefer, DUP or linear? So for people that don't know, DUP is essentially undulating intensity and reps through a week or through a microcycle. And then uh, you can look at linear as being more so having a mesocycle on one, so have a mesocycle on strength and a mesocycle on hypertrophy. So a mesocycle of lower rep ranges, higher intensity, and then maybe a mesocycle of lower intensity, higher rep ranges later on. I think for bodybuilding, everyone's going to be doing some form of DUP because you want the benefit of both strength and hypertrophy. And I don't think necessarily following one mesocycle of one or the other is better. Um, I think for reduction in injury rates and just general like motivation to train, uh, an undulating approach to periodization is probably better. Okay, so that's my thoughts there. Can your legs grow if you're doing only leg extensions and leg curls and machine movements from Constantin? Yes, absolutely. There's no reason why your legs can't grow if you provide a, a sufficient stimulus. So if you're providing a stimulus that's um, accurate, there's intense and intensity there, absolutely your legs can grow. Um, will you be missing out by doing a squat, not doing a, a squat a squat compound? Probably. Um, I don't know whether you like you mean by machines just leg extension and leg curl. Um, if you do just use a leg extension and leg curl, you will be missing out on what a leg press or a squat variation would provide. So yeah, um, that's that's what I would think. It's like you can grow legs with any leg training, you know, any direct leg training, you'll grow legs. But in terms of maximally growing the legs, look at you know a plethora of compound and isolation exercises. So I'll answer one more question and then, actually no, there's, there's only three more questions left. Some of them are a little long. So Curtis asks, how many sets per body part on an upper day if you're splitting with a legs push-pull hybrids? Depends how many sets you've done on your push and pull days. So remember that if we're looking to sort of the upper ends of volume, we're looking at maybe 10 sets per body part per week. Maybe if you're really pushing up to 12. So it just depends what you're doing on the push and pull days. But usually like three sets per, per probably like three to five sets maximum per body part on that day. That's a very rough range on the upper body day. Okay. Uh, one being obviously a compound exercise and one maybe being more isolation. So maybe a shoulder press and a lateral raise, two sets of both maybe. And then a chest press compound and a fly, two sets of both maybe, that's what we'd look at. Chester, what's better, one set heavy or two back offs, or two heavy and then one back off? Uh, Chester, mate, it, it really depends as to how you perform. Um, so for example, you know, if you, if you find psychologically that you like the one big all out set and then two back offs, or if you find psychologically you like two heavy sets and one back off, like psychologically, whatever works for you and whatever you get the best results with, that's what's best. You know, I could tell you that one will work better than the other, but I don't know how it's going to work for you. It's a very individual question. So I personally like, I personally, if I'm taking a top set and a, a down set approach, I like one top set and two two back offs. That's what I usually like if I'm doing that approach, which I sometimes do in my training. Uh, Kieran, what's your thoughts on dietary fat levels when calories are high? Um, so I'd like to prioritize carbohydrates for as long as I can. And to the point where carbohydrates get so high, then I'll start to obviously work up dietary fat. But I would say that uh, a minimum of 0.8 grams per kilogram would be a good start point. 
Um, and then sort of one gram per kilogram is probably where you want to see the upper ends. Uh, like, you know, for me, that would put me at about 75 grams of fat a day, which would be perfect. And if I was really struggling, then I'd happily go above that. But one gram per kilogram is probably where most people would end up at the end. Uh, the real skin dog, at which point did you realize that this was the sport career for me? Uh, probably when I went, when I did my first show. Like when I did my first show, I just knew that I wanted to be a natural bodybuilder. In terms of career, when I prepped my first client, I was like, wow, this is, <laughs> this is it. This is what I want to do. This is fun. Um, this is something I can wake up and do with, with no issues. And funny, I was telling a friend the other day, like I'd happily do all of this if I didn't have to like, if I didn't have to have or make a living, if I didn't have to do that, I'd happily do a lot of this for free. I really mean that. I'd happily coach for free um, because I love it. There's times at which, you know, you get a client, you're like, whoa, <laughs> this is work. Um, some of my clients will, will know who they <laughs> who they are when I say that. You're like, whoa, this is, this is work. Um, but it's all enjoyable, you know, just some of it's a bit like, fuck, <laughs> that was a lot of work. Um, so, but I, most of the time I'd really happily just do this, this for free. It's, it's something that I love doing. So yeah, that was when I realized, um, making weekly weight or rep gains as a beginner. Do I need to worry about increasing volume or just keep, well, the thing is, Sean, if you increase your weight or your reps, you're increasing your volume. So you don't need to necessarily increase sets when you're overloading with weight or reps. Um, if your volume's adequate, and you're progressing via weight and reps on a good consistent basis, you're doing perfect. You don't need to change a thing, Sean. So yeah, take that on board. Other than that, that's it. Question's done. So I managed to get through all of them. Obviously some of them I had to give shorter answers than I would if I had a bit more time, but hopefully all the answers make sense to you guys. Um, if you've got any questions for me off the back of this, let me know. I will speak to you all soon um, in the next podcast. Probably record one with George tomorrow. We'll have a catch up and we'll get a podcast recorded. But yeah, other than that, thanks very much for listening. I really appreciate everyone tuning in on these and we will chat very soon. Peace out.